The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we're going to have a fun trip today and an interesting trip today. My guest is Christopher Mulligan. He's a professor at USC and the founder and director of the prestigious uh, Cyber Addiction Recovery Center. Uh, he's renowned across the United States for promoting a comprehensive understanding of Internet and Technology Addiction to Treat Co-Occurring Psychiatric Conditions. The center offers programs designed with individualized intervention plans that result in freedom from technology addiction and the creation of a healthy and balanced lifestyle. And we all can use a healthy and balanced lifestyle. So welcome to the show. If it's okay with you, I'll call you Christopher, and you can call me Jonathan. Okay, sounds good. Okay. So before we get into the uh, specifics, i like to begin with my uh, guest to give us a thumbnail sketch of uh, how it was for you growing up and what kinds of things you enjoyed doing as a kid and, and how all of what you did or didn't do as a kid uh, helped you get to the point where you are now with a cyber addiction recovery center. Um, that's very good. Well, I, I was you know, very, very blessed uh, growing up. Um, uh-huh. I was... Uh, the product of two parents who did very interesting things for their careers, and um, and in some ways, uh, both of them contributed to my decision ultimately to become involved in helping people and in mental health. Uh, uh-huh. um, with that said, my father was a film director, um, and I grew up on on movie sets uh, from the time I was born through my adolescence and um my mother uh was a uh, held a couple of different phd's one in, in in american history from ucla and another in psychoanalysis and um mm-hmm. published widely in 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 the those areas specifically in gender um and feminism uh-huh. so um, i grew up in a household with uh it was very active and interesting and stimulating, uh-huh. um, where I had a lot of contact with creative and interesting adults yes. um, who were interested in mentoring uh, me and my siblings and, and, and our friends. And, 
And uh, so I was just extremely blessed to be in such an interesting and stimulating environment. It sounds idyllic, actually. There are certainly parts of it that were, uh, I just, to this day, I'm just immensely grateful uh, that I had the opportunities that, uh, you know, that that I had. Yeah. How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother and an older sister, both of whom are also in the helping profession. In fact, my brother has the same degree that I have. He's a licensed uh-huh. clinical social worker, lives in Hawaii, and uh-huh. works uh, at the legislative level in terms of mental health policy. And my uh-huh. sister went to Duke and is a physician's assistant and uh, works uh, largely with uh, the geriatric population and is out near Palm Springs. Uh-huh. And at what, at what uh, age in your life did you decide you wanted to be a uh, clinical social worker and, and do the kind of work you do now? Well, in some ways, um, I knew early on that I wanted to be in the helping profession. Uh, my mother uh, graduated, as it were, from academia into uh, mental health through psychoanalysis, and I was fascinated by, by that part of her career, the, the helping part and the teaching part. So um, I, I think it was always in my uh, DNA, as it were, to yes. end up in the in a helping profession. But the decision was made after I had spent a great deal of time studying um, philosophy at Sarah Lawrence College and, and at the New School for Social Research in New York, and quite frankly, realized that there wasn't any way to make a living. So. Yes. Uh, I made the practical decision that it would be a good idea to go to USC and get my myself a master's degree in social work and ultimately uh, and I'll become an LCSW. And how many years ago was that? Uh, well, I graduated uh, from USC in May of 1992 and uh, got my license to practice solo, as it were, in June of 97. Oh, I see. And um, as a kid... How were you creative when you were a kid? What kinds of things did you do? Well, I mean, I think fortunately, uh, back when I was a kid, there was, you know, three or four uh, channels uh, on television, not a lot to watch, Uh, no video games, no computers. Um, Thank God. So we spent the vast majority of our time riding our bicycles and engaging in imaginary play in our backyards and front yards and yeah. Um, and engaged uh, for years in, in fantasy and yeah. play and then sports later on. But we, um, you know, were unsupervised in the, old, in the old traditional sense, meaning we could go from door to door and we could play outside and no one was worried about predators or dangers. Um, and uh, we, we were free to be children. Yes. Uh, climb trees, literally dig yeah. holes. Yeah, swim. sounds great. My childhood was similar in many ways. What part of uh, L.A. were you? I assume you lived in L.A.? I did. I grew up in West Los Angeles in the Santa Monica Mountains, so there was uh-huh. lots of lots of nature and lots of places to ride bikes and climb and hike and whatnot. Yeah. What high school did you go to? Uh, I'm a graduate of Crossroads. I see. Okay. Well, that's good. So um, now let's get back to the uh, meat of the program. Yeah. Although I love hearing biographies about people. So um, tell us about the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center. How did you get it started, and, and what do you do with it? Okay. Well, the, uh, I've been working with people on the autism spectrum for 
a decade and a half. And over the last, I would say, four to five years, especially the adolescent population, um, was clearly developing in my practice, my clinical practice, which is uh, largely socialization and and relationship-focused groups, um, greater and greater preoccupation um, and dependence on technology for their uh, recreation and socialization. Uh And this was clearly uh, a problem that became a much greater problem when there was Wi-Fi and very inexpensive uh, technology. Uh, The old days when a laptop was very expensive or, you know, a smartphone and, and so um, what I began to see was uh, a, a really a generation of, of adolescent uh, uh, young men primarily who are, uh, have an autism diagnosis of one form or another um, just becoming absolutely preoccupied um, and living within sort of a virtual fantasy world yeah. online. Yes. In some ways, like a, 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 a cocoon of sorts. Pardon me? In some ways, a, a cocoon of sorts. Yes. Yeah. A, a, a toxic cocoon. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. So um, the average person who's hearing our show today or at some later time may not know what autism spectrum is. Can you uh, simply, in, in, in simple words, talk about it very briefly? Sure. I mean, the and new how, term, in how, fact, as of, uh, as of May, um, yeah. rather than use the term autism or Asperger's syndrome, yeah. Uh, the term that's going to be used is what's called autism spectrum disorder, which is a a spectrum meaning there will be many different kinds of people on the spectrum. But the primary problem for people with autism is in their development of social relationships. Yes. Um, and they have profound deficits in their capacity to initiate and maintain and nurture um, social relationships. They have other symptoms um, sometimes they're cognitive in terms of their intelligence, and sometimes they're behavioral. But the core central problem is in the development and in maintenance of friendship. Yeah. So um, for people who are very, very, very mildly uh, um, on, the, on the autism spectrum uh, disorder, mm-hmm. the people who are most mild... Would somebody be able to uh, see them as somewhat different right away, or would it be very subtle? Well, you know, I think before we the, the term autism was became part of sort of people's you know psyche, which because now it's you know there's ad, there's advertisements and there's Autism Month and there's all kinds of yeah. uh, you know media surrounding yeah. it, and and particularly now that the newest number is. You know, one in 55 children um, are, are have an autism diagnosis. Back, I think, when I was a kid, and maybe even over the last 20 years, people would probably have been called quirky, yes, unusual, exactly. uh, idiosyncratic, uh, nerdy would have yes. been another one. Um, and so I think those people we used to consider... Um, you know, people that were eccentric and odd and quirky, we just, that's how we referred to them. Yes. So do you think that one in 55 is accurate? Well, you know, I, I suspect that, that it's, that the, 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 the science is strong and sound. I think it's, it's a, it's, it seems, you know, a, a staggering number, but, um, yes. 
I, I have no reason to believe that it's not accurate. Um, I think it is a product of including in autism uh, people who we used to call uh, quirky or strange or odd or, yes. or you know idiosyncratic, yes. who now have a you know who now have have a, a label. Yes. So, uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, when people have very severe autistic issues going on, um, how do they, if, if do they become homeless at times or? Well, I mean, you know, it's possible. I mean, they, 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 they're not psychotic. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that when we think of sort of chronically, persistently mentally ill and the homeless, that's almost always schizophrenia and untreated psychotic disorders, depression, bipolar disorder. Um, it's less likely to happen with autism in part because there's also services, um, early intervention services. Um, what, what used to be called autism, however, um, were people that did require long-term care, hospitalization, and institutionalization. That's what we used to mean when we called someone autistic. So, you know, most yes. people think of Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man yes. as, a, as an autistic savant, which was a type of, of uh, autistic person. But that's what used to be autism, with someone requiring full-time care. I see. That's so no, yeah. no longer the case. So the, so the people who are, have some kind of autism, and they need... Um, full-time care, they're uh, like, what, one in uh, 200 or what? Yeah, it's hard to say. It's, it's an excellent question as to how many yeah. um, of that, maybe how many of that one in 50 or 55 uh, in, in the 21st century will require, uh, you know, full-time institutionalization, as it were. I think a very small percentage um, but the the you know that was not the case in the 80s and uh, as recently as the 80s and 90s it's there's been a tremendous change in who is diagnosed and uh, the number of people requiring um, you know long term institutionalization has decreased dramatically. Yes. Okay, so you want to uh, tell us more about what you do and how you do it with the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center? Certainly, yeah. The, uh, the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center is, um, provides education. So um, I do a lot of public speaking to parent groups, mental health professional groups, um, and speak to in synagogues and churches and PTAs, and I'm giving a presentation at UCLA uh, for mental health professionals. I have three presentations in in May, so that's part of what 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 the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center does is provide um, state of the art, as it were, education on on internet related uh, problematic use and on gaming. Those are the two main areas, um, and within that, you know, there are the topics of cyberbullying and cyber predators and safety. Um, and then I also speak to older groups, parents and and uh, teen groups about um, issues related to, to pornography, which are uh, becoming a, a significant issue in this new generation of teenagers who have grown up online. Yeah. Well, we, and I'd like to hear more about each of those um, subsets you just talked about. But before that, um, 
in recent years, I've been aware of this phrase, bullying. When, when I was a kid, a bully was someone who was going to physically hurt you. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And at times they would hurt you. Right. But now, um, if someone teases you in a, in a cruel way, but it's just words, that's considered bullying now. How did that change? It's a good question. You know, I think there's greater sensitivity to different types of intimidation. Um, and I think, you know, schools are, are by and large much more sensitive and aware that bullying involves also psychological uh, intimidation, social ostracization, stigmatizing, stereotyping. So I think we are more enlightened um, as, a, as a population, as a, as a community, about different ways that kids can actually hurt each other, and, and that can be through organized marginalizing of a kid or humiliation and embarrassment that where they don't touch, you know, there's no physical interaction. Um, so I think we're more sophisticated and have a better sense of what's, what kids do. Uh, with that said, we, I think we've reacted to the point where uh, normal conflict is, is deemed uh, as bullying or pathological, and yeah. we don't really let kids sort of kind of sort things out on their own. I agree 100%. And, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I remember this bully in, in um, grammar school, elementary school, I guess we call it these days, and uh, I was uh, worried that he would physically hurt me. He didn't, but I was worried about it. But if he said something that was cruel to me, I didn't like it, but I wasn't, I wasn't feeling afraid. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a different, you know, a very different time. Also, when I was a kid, you know, uh, kids, uh, you know, had scuffles with each other. Yes. Uh, you know, they threw some punches or a kick or they had at it from time to time, you know, whether it was in the, whether it was on the yard at school or whether it was in the backyard at home or wherever in the streets. And, and, you know, kids had kid justice and they worked out a lot of things on their own. And then, you know, it became, uh, that that was simply, you know, an unacceptable solution for kids to work it out on their own. And so you have, you know, all kinds of conflict resolution protocols and programs, many of them are, are, are terrific, but, but what they've, you know, sort of unintentionally or the unintended consequences that they've sort of stripped kids of meeting out their own right and wrong. Uh-huh. And sometimes the only way to get a kid to stop doing something is for a kid to draw a line in the sand and say, you can't do that to me anymore. Yes. And oh, yeah. I think yeah. a lot of kids have been unintentionally disempowered. And uh, when there's not an adult around, they don't know what to do. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break. We'll be back in about two minutes or so. Okay. So everybody hang on and we'll continue with the show. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in 
investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to human behavior. What a trip. Hi, everybody. We're back for the next segment with my guest, Christopher Mulligan. And Christopher, before we go on, would you like people to know how they can get hold of you, either with a phone number or a website? Sure. Let me give you um, yeah. the, the website. I'll give you the the easy version, which is www.teenvideogameaddiction.com. Um, so that's that's a way to get all of the Internet and cyber-related information. I have yes, say it one more questions. time for people who might be trying to write it down. www.teen, as in T-E-E-N, teenvideogameaddiction.com. Video addiction. Video game addiction? Yeah, videogameaddiction.com. Okay, I'm, I'm writing it down. Okay. And is there a phone number they can call off? There mind? is, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, I have an 800 number. It's 855-735-735-H-E-L-P. H-E-L-P. H-E-L-P for help. Help. H-E-L-P. Okay, good. All right, so back to... Um, your yeah, we were talking cyber- about the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center. Yeah. So we, we do education, um, and then the other parts are really clinical. It's treatment um, for children and for, for teens and for adults who have developed uh, what they call a problematic usage or overuse um, with uh, the Internet, with uh, video gaming would be the two major categories. And then, as I said, a subcategory of the Internet uh, would be um, online uh, pornography. Yes. So should we talk about all three of those things you just mentioned? Sure. You're, in sure. Some, I mean, in some the, detail? The, the, the programs, um, you know, are, are similar in that we offer uh, group, individual, and family uh, therapy. And some, some of the programs actually include all three, especially if children and teens are involved. Um, but the, the kind of problems that we're seeing with Internet uh, yes. Overuse, or if you want to, sometimes the word addiction is used, although it's not an official diagnosis as of yet. Um, you know, are people who um, are experiencing problems offline with their lives? There's something um, that's not working for them. Depression is uh, is a common trigger. Uh, anxiety, loneliness, um, a lack of satisfaction with relationships or career or schooling. And yes. the Internet uh, provides um, 
you know, a source of pleasure and escape. Uh, it's a mood, uh, mood altering drug as it were, um, uh-huh. searching the internet and reading. And when you combine, uh, internet research with social media, um, you can really, uh, deliver a very powerful, uh, antidepressant. So we have a lot of people who have offline problems that need to be addressed, um, through psychotherapy or medication or, lifestyle changes, and uh, they go online and they find a solution that uh, works. The problem is that it works so well that they don't uh, focus on or work on the offline problems that led them to uh, become uh, compulsive or addicted to, uh, to, to the Internet. And um, you have a very, very similar dynamic with video gaming, particularly the online games. Uh, World of Warcraft is the most... Famous, but there are many. You you gave it a name, World Warcraft. Uh, World of Warcraft, yeah. World of Warcraft is the most yeah. famous. Uh, what they call, it's a it's an online game where people can play together. So they call it a multiplayer online role playing game, and uh, it's but the most when famous. Playing, and when, most they're to, when they're playing together, is this another stranger or someone they already know? Well, I mean, they be, <clears throat> it's a good question. They, they, they come to know each other through the game. Yeah. And uh, they're wearing headsets, and so they're speaking to each other in real time as they play. Uh-huh. Um, and then there are chat rooms uh, where they, uh, they talk. They might develop um, relationships out of that, but they're very frequently geographically isolated. In other words, at any one time, you could have you know hundreds of players in the Western United States playing. You could have people from New York. You could have people in England, Korea. Um, so it's a sort of a, a, a very 21st century uh, definition of a friend. It's a person you've never met, never seen, um, but you spend a lot of time with online. Yeah. Um, and they spend time specifically in the context of, of the game, and uh, they value these relationships tremendously. Um, the, the problem is that at a certain point, they value them more than they value their offline relationships. Yes. Um, and out of that comes uh, ultimately you know, a lot of problems. Okay, so um, when they're doing this online stuff, they can't touch the person. They can't look into the person's eyes. Correct. They can't see a lot of body posture and stuff. Exactly. To me, it seems like a very dark, unfulfilling way to live. You know, it's uh, it, it certainly is 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 a is a kind of relationship that has tremendous uh, limitations. You know, uh-huh. um, and. And the people that spend a lot of time in these relationships ultimately do not end up feeling fulfilled and satisfied and happy, and, and they do end up feeling more lonely. And, and, uh, but they're trapped at a certain point. You know, they, yeah. they, they become a truly, um, you know, some version of addiction sets in, and they can't leave the game, and uh, their entire world becomes about, uh, about the game. Now, is this more common among 
certain age groups, or is it pretty much across the board from 10 um, years old to 80 years old? The World of Warcraft generation is uh, <laughs> typically teen and teen through adulthood. Um, it does require, you know, logic and reasoning and strategy and reading. <clears throat> so, you know, you need to be able to do all of those things. And many of the people who play are highly intelligent. Um, it tends to be very, very male-dominated. Uh-huh. So um, if you're a young man who is socially awkward and struggled with offline relationships at school and struggled with opposite-sex relationships, you find a place in these games where you can have uh, power and esteem and competence and love affairs and... Uh, be a hero, um, and so it's all fantasy. Yeah, profound these very in, sort of intoxicating, um, you know, fantasies, and um, and no wonder uh, they 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 want to stay on. You know, it makes certainly makes sense given what their offline options are. Yeah. So in a minute or two, tell us how you help them. But before that, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You mentioned addiction. Yes. So once upon a time, addiction was something where someone was addicted to some kind of drug. Right. But now they have sex addiction and all this kind of addiction, that kind of addiction, but it's not really a drug in the usual sense. Right. It's kind of like the bullying thing. People seem to want to make things softer and more vague, which I find to be a problem, actually. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's, it's certainly controversial, um, but what they're called are process addictions or be, behavioral addictions. And um, the one that has gotten the most, you know, credibility by far is gambling. Uh-huh. Um, and, why, is, and, and, why is gambling so much of a... Of, pardon me? Why is gambling so popular? Well, it's, uh, I was more saying that it's... It, there's not a lot of debate about whether people become addicted to a, to, to gambling. Um, and so some of the ways that sex addiction and internet addiction, it's, it's sort of a, a continuum of understanding that people can become compulsive, preoccupied. They can develop tolerance, withdrawal symptoms, yeah. negative consequences, inability to stop their behavior. Um, yeah. In other words, whether you call it addiction or compulsivity, um, people both in the areas of sex and internet and, and, and then you can add gaming onto that, certainly be, exhibit behaviors that are, are very, very similar to what we you know, have historically called addiction. Yeah. So um, why do parents let their teenage kids do this for so many hours a day? It's a great question as to sort of the role, uh, what is the role of parents and why would a parent um, allow anyone in their family to spend hour upon hour, whatever they were doing, you know, online, whether it was, you know, five hours of Wikipedia research or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the short answer is that getting these kids offline and getting them engaged in their life is, is involves very, very heavy lifting for the parent. And mostly, uh, some heavy-duty limit just... setting, and it's about engaging the, uh, their, the, the young man, usually, uh, in some yeah. other activity. And quite frankly, um, it's a brawl. It's hard work. It's, uh, it's, it's demanding. Um, it's, it's 
it's conflict uh, ridden, and yes. a lot of parents uh, don't want to fight. So they just give up on their kid. Basically. They give up in a way. They do. Yes. I, I don't yes. know if it's giving up on their kid, but they do reach a point where they uh, rationalize that, well, at least he's online talking to other people playing the game, or at least he's you know, reading Wikipedia articles. I mean, there's sort of a rationalization that, that, that can you know, come in and, and, and make yeah. a difference. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, when I get telephone calls, um, uh, parents often want me on my own by myself you know, to fix their child. Hey, what do you say to them when they say that? To uh, when, I, I, when I say that that's not in the cards, that it will be a combination of therapies, group and individual, and most important, frankly, family, yes. there's, um, you know, probably half the time it's the last conversation I have with them. Oh, that's terrible. It is, it is what awful. it is, but uh, it, it's... Uh, I have to be truthful, you know, I can't, you know, say, yes, if you drop your, your young man off here, uh, I can do individual and group sessions uh, when I tell them that, that the parents are, you know, are, yeah. the, are, are the, the, the most important part of the treatment. Yeah. Um, that's the way I need to say it, and uh, very frequently, as I said, they don't want to hear that. Yes. So uh, of the three modalities, which is the best, group, individual? Group or individual, family? Uh, the, the best is, is if you can get the commitment is to mix the three. Um, and I'm talking about on a juvenile, uh, you know, with, with children and, and, you know, and teens. Yeah. Uh, groups make kids feel less alone and they feel less uh, blamed within the family if there's other kids that they can talk to. Uh-huh. Um, but if you had to pick one and one only for, for children and teens, it would be family therapy for sure. Yeah, that's what I would guess too, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a huge commitment and, uh, on, on their part, on my part. And, um, and uh, you know, we have a lot of families who, who want uh, change but aren't ready um, to participate in, in the hard work of family therapy. Yes. So uh, how often do you work with families? All the time. I mean, I'm, I'm my reputation um, well before the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center was that, that I did parent trainings and parent seminars and parent therapy, parent focused therapy, parenting classes and parent and, and family therapy. So, um, that's really been part of my professional world ever since I left USC. I mean, it's really has been part of what I do since 92. So do you train other therapists to help you with this? I do, I do. I, I, I almost always have uh, two or three um, interns that are uh, participating in training here at the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center, um, and then I do individual supervision um, on uh, on various issues. But re- more recently, um, trainings on uh, on video game addiction and and cyber addiction. Yeah. So um, when you work with a family. How many, well, how long are the sessions? Are they uh, an hour, an hour and a half? An hour and a half, typically, with a family. And um, I meet with the, fam- with the parents first uh, two or three times and yes. really assess whether they have the motivation and interest, you know, to, to pursue 
uh, what what would need to happen. And I have um, I have my own workbooks that that I have written, and and then I give them those, and we I sort of test to see whether they'll do some homework, and, and uh, so it's a process of of uh, of me evaluating whether they're ready to, right. to do the work, and um, yeah. and. And if they're not, then I encourage them to think about why that is, and and uh, and maybe come back at another point in time. Yes. Um, but I do hold the line on that they have to be fully engaged uh, with the treatment, and that uh, you know that the Cyber Addiction Recovery Center is uh, you know unfortunately can't be successful by dropping kids off here. Yes. So. Um what percentage of the the adult parents, when they come to see you before you see them and the kids, what percentage actually drop out right away, and how many? What percentage stay with it? Well, you know, the dropout rate for family therapy in general, just uh, just the research across the board, um, is the, the dropout rate is staggering. Very oh, few terrible. people stay for family therapy, no matter what. No matter what it is, and, and upwards of eighty percent. Some in some studies, as, as much as ninety percent wow, uh, don't pathetic. actually stay. Um, you're saying you're saying the eighty percent actually stay or don't stay? Do not do you know nine, nine out of ten families stop? Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, um, oh there's God. real problems with what they call engagement with yeah. with families in in the cyber world because I have written workbooks um, and can stabilize of what they need to do. They feel less overwhelmed. So um, I would say where I tend to lose families is on the phone. Once they come in, if they've come that far, meaning they've come in and made an appointment and we're face-to-face, um, I generally have, have you know, upwards of 75 80% stay in treatment. But the, it's the phone contact where um, I lose a lot of parents. I see. And on that um, note, we're going to take our second and last commercial break. Okie doke. And we'll come back soon and we'll continue. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Christopher Mulligan. And uh, Christopher, just one more time, I'm going to tell people how they can reach you. Okay. Your, your website, and if I say it wrong, let me know. Your website is www. three w's and a dot, teamvideogameaddiction.com. Teamvideogameaddiction.com. And your 800 phone number, if they want to reach you, is 800. 800- Eight five five. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a. Uh, eight, it's eight. It's not eight hundred. It's eight five five. Yeah. Thank you. Eight five five area code seven three five, and then the letters help H E L P. So if any of you want to get in touch with Christopher Mulligan, this is the way you can do it. Okay, so we're back to talking about um, families, and I wanted to know on the average, um, how many. Sessions will it take before the outcome you want to have happen happens? Well, if um, you know, if if parents are engaged, let's say it's a child or or uh, an adolescent, the good news is that once parents get some traction in as little as two to four sessions, um, you can start right. to see you know real changes in the family uh, functioning uh-huh. around technology. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's a, once the parents have bought in and, and realized that they're, an inter, you know, the sort of central part of it, uh, of the treatment, it goes, it goes very quickly and it's very successful and it's um, a format that I'm very comfortable with and have had a lot of success with. And, and so it's, it's not, uh, you know, 30, 40 sessions. It's, uh, you know, three, four sessions uh, and you start, Seeing changes now, that doesn't mean that the, t- the child or the teen, you know, comes around. Uh, it means that the parents finally uh, have, uh, you know, tools and strategies to yes. begin to change, you know, long-standing patterns of technology overuse. Yes. So I would so imagine it's a very successful process, um, but the parents, you know, need to be 100% engaged. 
Yes, and then I would assume, um, if all goes well, the parents are happier with each other. Absolutely, it, it's it, and and yeah, and then the children, the adolescents, warm up to all this, and it's um, a nicer, cozier way to live. Absolutely, um, and the you know some of the parents. As I'm sure you can well imagine, and people listening uh, can imagine that some of the parents have their own technology-related issues, and sometimes that's the first step: is the is is the parents need to work on their relationship to technology before they can really focus on their kids. Yeah. So when um, these cyberspace kids um, are into the uh, the use of the computer for so long and playing these games do do some of them have other problems too like uh, smoking marijuana or um, I don't know, stealing or is it pretty much just cyber stuff yeah it, they, the 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 co-occurring issues are more psychiatric so you know they're more likely to suffer from depression and, and anxiety disorders and and, and sort of chronic problems with socialization and attention um, don't tend to be dual diagnosed in terms of substance abuse and and uh, and gaming. Although there are certainly um, certainly certainly you know young men uh, who who smoke a lot of pot and play a lot of video games. I mean that certainly happens. But the most of the kids that I work with, um, what they have is they have an offline problem. And they're using either the internet, gaming, both, pornography to deal with an offline problem. And so the treatment is about ultimately making their offline lives work better um, because they're only using the internet and gaming and pornography because they don't know what else to do to improve the quality of their offline life. And you mentioned pornography. What were the other two things you mentioned? Gaming. Gaming. Yeah, it'd be either you know, either either net surfing, YouTube, and and Wikipedia, and on and all the ways, and then sometimes social media, Facebook, and um, and then you have you know your gamers, and then you have uh, and, and gamers. Gamers, gamers means gambling. Uh, that, yes. I mean, you see a lot of um, adolescent even uh, uh, gambling, even though they're clearly not supposed to be, you know, on on those sites. But uh, but uh, video games uh, are sort of built around gambling uh, logic, which just simply means sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It has uh, kind of the same sort of incentives that gambling does. I see. Um, so, so it keeps so, you engaged. It's called leveling up or, you know, winning the battle and getting rewards and moving through the system of the, the game. And the, and the reward is in, the, is, it, is in getting kudos or getting... Um, it is getting, speed? yeah. It's getting social recognition yeah. within the game by other players, and then it's achieving goals within the game Yeah, that it so, include power... Yeah, uh, status, so, yeah. money, women, uh, political power—all within inside the game. Okay, so I'm ma- I'm making an assumption. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. I would assume that teenagers, let's say seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, 
are going to be more into pornography and um, young kids that are, let's say, 13 or 14 are going to be more into gaming or, you know, Star Wars kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly true that you'll see more hardcore sort of problems, as it were, uh, with older teens, but the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11. Wow. And... uh and uh, 92% of, of males and 63% of females um, have seen some form of pornography before the age of 18. So, um, well, so we have a younger and younger online. and younger and younger generation that's uh, tapping into all kinds of pornographic uh, material. But when you're talking about this pornographic material, it's material they've seen on the Internet or seen at the beach or what? This is all internet, all cyber, okay. all cyber okay. connected uh, uh, pornography. Yeah. So, uh, do you ever f- have these uh, kids who um, you get feedback from them five or ten years later and see how they're doing? Well, the the cyber kids, the the I don't have that kind of. We haven't been sort of focusing on this for that long a period of time. You know, we have samples of you know two years. Um, I see. And, uh, you know, it's very gratifying to kids that, that were able to really focus on developing their offline lives, you know, are, are in, you know, successful and very appreciative of what happened, even though at the time they were, they were you know, outraged. Yes. And upset yeah. and angry about, you know, their gaming time being removed or reduced right. or... So for some of these people, do you do you end up talking to them a few years later? Or? Yeah, yeah, I I, I have uh, ongoing contact with a lot of you know clients, and some you know stay in touch, and and uh-huh. some stay even engaged in in my in, in groups. Yeah, and maybe one or two or three of them will do the kind of work you do now. Yeah, yes, they'll. That'd be lovely. Yeah. Yes. So I assume this work is when when it's doing going well for you that you love it a lot. I do. I, I, it's immensely uh, gratifying and and interesting. What I like about it is that uh, you know the days are 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 always you know similar or um, dissimilar. I don't have to you know crank out the same day day after day after day. And, yes. Uh, Every day is a challenge, and uh, and it's uh, in the best possible sense. Yeah, and uh, on the average, how many hours a day are you doing the therapy to some degree or other? Well, um, you know, I get I get in around uh, ten, and I'm I'm here till you know six thirty seven, sometimes eight. Uh, I run groups on the weekends, and and because I have my own clinical workbooks uh, available, I also spend time revising those. Their con- the content is always being updated. Um, so I spend a, a good amount of time on my blog and also just updating my, my workbooks. But when I came into this, there were dozens of wonderful books on uh, the Internet and yeah. video gaming and pornography, but there was nothing for uh, families to actually use as a, as yeah. a, as a workbook with exercises right. and structure. Yeah. So I've spent a great deal of time on, on those, and, and that's been very helpful. Okay. So uh, how can one find your blog? 
the blog is attached to uh, www.teenvideogameaddiction. It's just one of the one of the uh, one of your options on the homepage. Okay. On the, and, um, and, and then the workbooks fun? are all uh, available uh, through my website or through Lulu. Uh, .com, which is a self-publishing um, uh, company that handles it. So um, people who want to know more without making a significant investment of, uh, of time and money can uh, you know, also go straight to the workbooks and, and read them and sort of see what they know and what they don't know and, where they, and how they might want to proceed. Yes. Okay, that's good to know. So, um, so some people find your workbook... And then they, they then they contact you, right? Yes. Um, some people will call or email, and um, I encourage them to look at the at, at the workbooks uh, to get a sense of what they will need to do. Um, and uh, they're written uh, in plain English. They're easy yeah. to understand. Um, they're relatively short. Um, and uh, they're very helpful for people sort of to get a sense of what's going on. Two of them were written actually for a teen audience, which um, had never been done before. I actually have a workbook that is for uh, video game addicts or compulsive uh, teenagers, and I have one for uh, pornography as well. Okay. Well, our time is up. It's gone by really fast. I'm so glad you were with me on the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I've enjoyed it very much, and I think it's going to be useful for people who get to hear this show. I, I, so I hope so. And if they you yeah. know, have questions, they can, uh, okay. they can email me through the website or call me. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. That's the show for today. See you next week. Well, I won't see you, but I'll hear you. So, uh, so long for now. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.